lovely listeners. This is Man Up, the men's mental health podcast. My name, and it always has been, Andy Richardson. And sitting across Europe, the sort of north cold part of Europe, in Estonia, is the one and only Tommy Danqua. How are you, sir? I am very well, thank you very much. It's lovely to speak to you again. It's been a while, mate. <laughs> oh God, uh, it has been. A, it has been. It's been too long, hasn't it? It has been too long. Too I've missed long. you. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. But it's good to be back. We're back on it with a second podcast, and my podcast equipment is working after suffering a near fatal, uh, devastating assault by the microphone. We're alive. We're kicking, and we are well. We're ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Well, in fact, as if you listen to the last podcast, uh, you'll realise that we were trying to pretend that this podcast was a week or or two after the previous one, but actually we're talking to, to each other a few minutes after we finished recording the last one. So not a lot has happened. <laughs> in that time. In that time, no, no. But... <laughs> Michael, shh. Oh, so you're not meant to talk yet. So we do have a guest, by the way. We've been really busy. We've been really busy. <laughs> um <laughs> all right the jigs up we haven't been i've not actually even moved from the chair since we said goodbye <laughs> i'm still sat in the same spot i've not moved no no and i haven't moved so really i haven't got a lot to say should we should we just get the guest on well i think we should because i'm currently looking at a picture of him here we've got an amazing guest today and we're talking about something that you've wanted to speak about for a long time. And actually I'm quite fascinated by this topic as well, because one of our, the friends of the show has actually been through this process and he can't speak highly enough of it. So our next. Yes. Yes. And that's, Mm. yeah. And that subject is sheep juggling. No, it's not sheep juggling. Sorry. (laughs) That, that subject is EMDR. Now EMDR is a trauma therapy and i guess if you don't i think i guess if you're like me and you and you sort of you think of emdr you just think of someone sitting in front of a therapist being tapped and looking you know making your eyes go from side to side and that sort of thing but uh, as our next guest mr michael baldwin no less will tell us there's a lot more to it than that because not only uh, are you getting the therapy, but you're getting this extra aspect as well? So, who is Michael Baldwin? I hear you ask. Apart from, um, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I swore to myself I wouldn't mention this, but Michael Baldwin, uh, to a lot of people in the UK, was a, a notorious baddie in Coronation Street, the biggest soap opera um, <laughs> there's ever been. Um, that is true. That is true. There was a Michael Michael Baldwin. Mike Baldwin, wasn't he? He was like a real baddie, wasn't he? But but it's this not to be this, confused with our Michael Baldwin. Our Michael Baldwin is a not a bad, He's not, not a baddie at all. Well, he's a very handsome man. I've got a picture of him here. What yes. yeah. yeah. So he's come, he's talking to us from the states. He's he's over there in um, the New, the New York area. Uh, for many years, he had a very uh, high profile ad agency job in in new york and uh towards the sort of mid mi- middle of his career or maybe well into his career um 
he lost his job, basically, uh, out of the blue. Uh, he hit rock bottom. Um, for many years, he had been sort of seeing various um, psychologists and counsellors. Uh, and then one day he came across someone who was uh, doing EMD EMDR. Um, now, EMDR, uh, remind us, Michael, what EMDR stands for? EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. I should have known that. I should have had that in front of me, but um, I didn't. But thank you for that. Um, so basically, he had EMDR, which completely changed his life. Um, and so much so that he decided to uh, write a book about it, uh, along with a... a, a um, well-respected uh, psychologist, um, a psych psychologist called Deborah L. Korn. So, the two of them have written a a great book called "Every Memory Deserves Respect." So, we've got him on to talk about the book, to talk about um, his own journey, and to talk about EMDR. So, thank you for coming on, Michael. Your uh, how how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you, and and thank you both, Andy and Tommy, for for having me and for uh, by virtue of um, the reach of your podcast by supporting our book. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. So, so you told us what um, EMDR stands for. So, I guess the best place to start before we go into your journey is to just just to tell us a little bit about what um, EMDR is and, and what happens on a, a session. Say, if I come to see you, what would happen um, in, in a sort of typical EMDR session? So I wish my co-author were here to answer that question, but I'll do the best I can. Um, it's probably makes the most sense to, to um, establish some, some uh, basics. Uh, one of them being that EMDR is a trauma or excuse me, is a memory-based psychotherapy that is meant to treat trauma. And that's that's one sort of basic. The other one is, um, and I don't know if you've been following Prince Harry, but Prince Harry was, um, he was recently on Stephen Colbert here on late night television. And um, he repeated something that another very well-known um, trauma expert, Gabor Mate, says often, which is, in his opinion, about 99% of the humans on the planet Earth are carrying around some form of trauma, grief, or loss with them. Mm -hmm. The third thing we need that uh, your audience needs to understand is trauma is a part of life. Most people think of trauma as a car accident, as combat, as a natural disaster, but trauma is a part of pretty much every aspect of life, getting divorced, losing a loved one, getting fired from a job, um, racism, discrimination, bullying is a huge source of trauma, particularly because often it, you know, at times it, it starts when we're, we're children. Um, the, the premise of EMDR therapy, and by the way, just so your, your uh, audience knows, because EMDR is easy to, to either mix up or forget the acronym, because eye movement desensitization and reprocessing is something that mo no one's going to remember. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to come up with a title that was contextually related, memory, namely you know, memory related, that people would remember. So every memory deserves respect 
is was my device to use to use the same acronym EMDR, but with a different set of four words, but still sticking with the notion that um, it's deal it's a memory based psychotherapy. And for me, um, I had spent about 22 years seeing. Um, uh, I think it was a total of seven therapists over 22 years. So I saw talk therapists, I saw uh, CBT therapists, I saw a short-term intensive dynamic psychotherapist, and none, none of them gave me any really substantive relief. And as you mentioned in your introduction, um, things kind of just, the wheels sort of came off for me as an adult when I um, was out of my job and, and the career that basically identified me was kind of over at least temporarily. And I just happened to, at that time, in that nadir, um, come across uh, a therapist that my older sister recommended. His name was Jeffrey Magnavita. So my co-author was an EMDR therapist who's an expert in her field. That's Deborah Korn. She was not my therapist. The therapist I saw was Dr. Jeffrey Magnavita. And um, EMDR is a memory-based psychotherapy that the, where the primary premise is that most Behavioral health issues with human beings are the result of unprocessed traumatic memories. And it is designed to address uh, the processing, reprocessing of traumatic memories. So the charts get lost, you, they, they get, you know, the event gets filed in long-term memory, but um, the, the things that uh, are subconsciously um, changing the way you see the world, the way you see your, yourself, the way the choices you make that are all symptoms can go away and you can start to lead a more normal life out of the, the, uh, the magnetic field of all that traumatic memory. But I'm still confused about the, the, the actual, um, uh, you know, I, I guess this, well, maybe the physical aspect of it, the, 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 you know, the, the, the sort of, the thing that really dif sort of separates EMDR from, from right. other stuff. So, so I'm always careful to remind myself that there are actually eight phases, um, uh, all of which comprise you know, the, the, the EMDR therapeutic process. But the one you're referring to, which most people seize upon, is what's referred to as bilateral stimulation. And um, there, that's in my case, that was a therapist uh, moving his fingers back and forth and, you know, relatively close to me. It can also be tapping. You can also be holding paddles in your hands where um, it'll buzz in your right hand, it'll buzz in your left hand. And it's meant to, um, when it was discovered um, in 1987 by, by Francine Shapiro, she realized that when she was distracted, for lack of a better word, by this bilateral stimulation, the resonance and intensity of traumatic memories was dramatically reduced. And that's where this all started in 1987. Yeah. So that's, that's the part that, that most people think of as EMDR in and of itself, but it's actually has, there are eight phases starting with you know, a therapist making an assessment and doing a treatment plan. But the desensitization process is the bilateral stimulation part where um, you start with, uh, let's say you came into, you went into your EMDR therapist's office and something that, you know, Tommy said something to you, which completely had you going sideways. You just, you didn't even know why you're having this incredibly dramatic or serious reaction. Yeah. And um, the, the therapist is, the first thing they're going to do is, is to have you try to remember the earliest memory you have where that, that feeling that you're having right now was also 
you know, part of your existence. So did this have, what's the earliest time in your life you can remember feeling the way you're feeling right now? And that's called slope back. And then they'll start with that earlier memory. And then the, the, the you know, if within a short period of probably, um, you're dealing with uh, the source of the original trauma. And that's where the bilateral slash desensitization process takes place. Right. Wow. So uh, do you know what? This is, well, I want to get back into the um, the actual process itself, but if you don't mind, obviously, if you feel comfortable, would you mind sharing with us, um, you know, your your trauma history? Because I'd like our listeners to get to know a bit more about you, and maybe sure. this could be something that they could relate to, and it could help them. If you, you know, whatever you're comfortable with sharing, it'd be really nice to sure. for our listeners to hear. Thank so, so. Um, when I started treatment with Dr. Magnavita, I, I knew that bad things had happened when I was young, but I never thought of them as being traumatic. I didn't really understand traumatic. I didn't know anything about trauma. None of the seven therapists I'd seen over 22 plus years ever talked about trauma, and none of them were EMDR therapists. So I didn't. I, I never made that connection, and I never thought of them as having anything to do with my adult emotional struggles. Um, I never thought of myself as a trauma victim or a trauma survivor. And also, uh, I didn't consciously or wasn't aware of some of the things that happened to me that, that were, came out or discovered in therapy. I only had fragments of memories that in and of themselves didn't really make much sense, didn't add up to much. So um, I came to understand my trauma history through EMDR, and it started in my case with what Dr. Magnavita would refer to as willful neglect on the part of both my parents. So for example, um, you know, at age two or so, I'd be put in the backyard in Denver, Colorado with a diaper and bare feet and just left out in the backyard. And I would wander down the back alleyway and out down into the intersection and a neighbor would bring me back to the house. I mean, these days that would be a call to childhood services and someone would be showing up at your door for, (laughs) for neglecting your children. Um, I had a bully at home in the form of my older brother, who was a really pretty relentless, serious bully for me. And I had a bully at school when I was in elementary school. And anyone who's listening who knows anything about bullying knows that you never, ever feel safe. You you, you pretty much live in a state of terror all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, In my case, the abuse was uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, and emotional abuse. and neglect was a big, big part of that starting when I was, you know, basically, you know, pre-verbal as an infant. Um, I couldn't focus on things. I couldn't tune into anything. My brain was kind of short-circuited. Uh, for the longest time, I couldn't read. I had a tutor. I had math tutors. I had reading tutors. I had tutors after my normal school day, which was um, pretty ridiculous, but uh, I, had to, I had to do it. No choice at the time. Um, I was what my mother always referred to as accident-prone. So I, by the time I was five, I probably had five concussions on my forehead because I would just constantly trip and fall and land on my forehead because I was just so scattered. Um, and it was kind of a, a, an existence growing up where there's no feeling no, unsupported, unloved, insecure, and basically a, 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 a conviction of being worthless and unlovable. So that's kind of where I started um, and uh, when you 
had that prevailing conviction, in my case, you have to come up with some kind of mitigating strategy. My mitigating strategy was called, it's called grandiosity. So I started to create this sort of false persona to the outside world. I have a career in advertising. I became an achievement and status junkie uh, and a workaholic. Um, at the same time, though, I, I really couldn't form any authentic relationships. I had a couple of recurring nightmares that were, that were as terrifying the first time I had them as the last time I had them. And, and this is over a course of 40 years, the same two nightmares, no, having no idea why or where they were coming from. Um, I had a phobia of using public restrooms. I had a phobia of heights. And uh, any real suggestion of intimacy with a woman was would be completely panic-inducing. Now, the weird part about all this is that I just thought this was how I was. I had no idea that any of these uh, present-day adult uh, symptoms were related to anything or that were trauma-related. Um, and it got sort of towards the, the end, um, uh, numbing strategy, coping strategy, drinking excessively, combining alcohol with Vicodin, blacking out on a fairly regular basis, not knowing how I, I would get home. Mm. Um, and uh, it was kind of a dissociated, um, detached, numb kind of existence. So <clears throat> before you got to EMDR, you did, uh, you obviously knew, you obviously realized that you, you, that something wasn't quite right um, quite a long time ago. And you obviously turned to help a long time ago. Can you tell us a bit, a little bit about before you found EMDR, what your sort of um, help journey was and, and why, why do you think they didn't help you as much as EMDR did? So when I started, I look, I always laugh about this. When I started in my early twenties, I was in Boston and I remember telling the, the therapist, which they, you know, always do ask you, why are you here? And I told him this because I, I had a hard time concentrating, which was true, but really had nothing to do with the real reason why I was there, which I wasn't even aware of at the time. Um, so for me, and I always tr try to be careful to, to let people know that I'm not speaking generally, I'm just speaking for myself. Talk therapy didn't really have any lasting or, or, or substance uh, relief for me. Um, neither did CBT therapy. Short-term intensive dynamic psychotherapy is, is a really intense way to go. Um, and, you know, you're about, your knees are about five inches apart from your therapist's knees sitting in chairs facing each other. And you have sessions that go two, three, four hours at a time. And they can be very emotional, but they don't really connect. They didn't connect back to the source of where the emotional um, uh, hall trolling was, was, was going. It was just, just sort of like lancing boils of just emotion that weren't really connecting to anything. Mm -hmm. So in the end, right before I saw Dr. Magdavita, I was seeing a th another talk therapist in New York. And I remember seeing, I remember leaving her office thinking that I just, this is not getting me anywhere. And, and also for me, again, for me, wh whoever figured out that 50 minutes once a week was, was going to do anything for anybody, because mm. I, I just finally feel at that point, it was, it, it was kind of a sad day because I realized, what am I going to do? Because I just feel like this is getting me nowhere. Mm. But it, it does, but it does work for some people. I mean, I, I, it, it worked for me. Um, I had, um, cause I, 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 you know, I, I had, um, anxiety and panic attacks basically through, uh, as a result of child, 
childhood trauma myself, actually. And um, the talking therapy helped me um, quite a lot. I mean, and this is why I'm so interested in, in EMDR and maybe it's something that I might try out myself, um, especially after talking to you. But um, I don't really sort of suffer that much from from day to day from anxiety or panic attacks anymore at all really but um um the the talking therapy did help me because i it allowed me because i think what the main problem you know everyone's trauma is different and i think for me the main problem was we didn't talk about stuff when we were younger you know um and we we couldn't get anything off our our chest and even though I'm quite good at sharing stuff with friends, there's nothing like having someone being paid to sit in front of you for 50 minutes and, and mm. listen to stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so all I'm saying is that, yeah, I mean, that didn't work for you, but I think it does work for other people for sure. Yeah. yeah well, so let me be clear. It wasn't that it wasn't, that it was worth less. It was that in my case, knowing as I know now that the source of my symptoms was it was trauma it wasn't an effective tool to to deal with trauma in my case. So for me, from the very first time I I had my very first uh, EMDR therapy session with, with Dr. Magnavita, it felt very different. It felt like rather than intellectualizing about something or talking about something, I felt like I was having both of my hands on the third rail, you know, feeling the, the current going through my body. And by that, I mean, um, you know, waves and waves of emotion coming that I never even knew that I, I had. And, and it started with getting back in touch with the nature of and, and intensity of neglect. So from a very early age, just feeling completely alone and, you know, yearning and longing and sadness and grief at being just with no one to turn to and being neglected completely. Um, so uh, that, and it sort of went on from there, but for me, the process of, Targeting back to the earliest memory, starting work at that point, mm. letting the bilateral stimulation, because there's lots of theories as to why it works, but mm. the fact in my case that it did work, release those, all those, you know, emotions associated with traumatic memory. And it sort of comes up and through and then out of you and it never comes back. So you can remember or realize that you were left, you know, for God knows how many hours on end in a crib and not being fed, mm. or, you know, you were, you were, uh, you, you were, um, you know, in my case, other much more dramatic episodes that took place, but the emotional charge gets released. You file the, what happened into long-term memory, and then you can kind of wipe the screen clean and see clearly because unless and until you reprocess or deal with those traumatic memories, again, this is the, the fundamental, I think, tenet of EMDR therapy, unless and until you deal with the traumatic memories, they will forever warp how you see yourself, how you see the world, and the choices you make. Do you, th- do you think... Sorry, oh. Tommy, I'm... Sorry. Uh, I was, was going to say, do you know what? It's really nice to you said. You've kind of asked my question because I was going to say to you, a lot of people over the duration of this podcast, we've speaking to a lot of people that are dealing with like, you know, very severe traumas themselves. And, you know, you've explained to yourself about the, how crippling it can be. 
Now, people who are absolutely terrified to face these, you know, to face their demons, to face their past, to revisit it, you know, they, instead they were turning to alcohol and drugs and, you know, their lives are really sort of becoming self-destructive. You, you touched on it here saying that it needs to be done, but how, what would you say to those people that are just absolutely terrified of revisiting their past? What would you say to them? How So, so I, I think I answered that question. Uh, I'll, I'll elaborate on it, but I think I answered that question in the preface of the book. Um, hang on. Uh, which is pretty brief. But, um, and it apply, certainly applies to myself because I was, I, I had plenty to be scared of once I found out, when I, once I actually faced a lot of things. Yeah, of course. Um, if, if you have the courage to face the ones that, if we have the courage to face the ones, the memories that scare us the most, they can lead to discoveries that will free us. Our memories are the caretakers of truth in our lives, and every memory deserves respect. So what I would say to them is what I'd say to myself was, um, it, it, it's, it's definitely scary. And the, the weird part about it is, um, I don't know if you're, you know, the word dread was, I don't know if you think about the, the whole notion of dread, mm-hmm. but I would wake up with just a sense of dread, with sort of a dull sort of um, a reaction or delayed reaction maybe to, to being afraid of facing things. So, because you don't really know where the sensation's coming from. I just have this sense of dread. And in my case, I was with Dr. Magnavita for about two years. Only towards probably the 90% mark did we finally, for me, uncover where I was able to face two very traumatic episodes in particular that I never was ever aware of that was the source of these two recurring nightmares that I had, completely terrorizing and terrifying every time I had them over the course of four years. Hmm. And and never they never happened again after that and they, they just went away forever so i think i think it, it's almost like when i talk to people about you know therapists and therapy and i tell them that, you know a lot of people say well I, I, I just can't tell my therapist that i can't and i always tell them you know it's sort of to the extent to which you withhold anything that's the extent to which you're going to limit the results you're going to get by the same token i think as scary as it may feel, when you're on the other side of it, it's nothing but relief and clarity. Just, it's, it's you know, you, you talked about EMDR opening up some memories that you didn't realize, didn't sort of re- realize were there or, or, or didn't sort of remember. That's that's something that I've come across, actually, that, that the first sort of five, because that the, 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 the stressful part of my childhood was like the first sort of five or six years and mm-hmm. I don't remember much about it. I, it in fact it's a complete blank I mean obviously I was very young but is that something that EMDR does it sort of um goes into because it's a, a much more sort of physical and a much more subconscious level does it tap into maybe memories on a subconscious level that you don't actually realize were there is that a sort of a typical thing EMDR does yeah because it's because um uh, memory, a memory has more than, a, it's not just a picture. There are um, emotions, sensations, uh, and beliefs all wrapped up in, in memories, you know, traumatic memories in particular. And when you say it's a blank, I, I would suggest to you, just speaking for myself, that um, we know and remember more than we think we know and remember. It's just that 
if there's issues going on with the memory is it, it you know what 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 happens is we we quote unquote don't remember or quote unquote or it's a blank i mean because when i started EMDR therapy i was having you know memories of preverbal and there's also another book i'm i'm guessing you've heard of it called the body keeps the score yes oh i read that I, yeah, yeah by Bessel van der Kolk, and he was—he's a colleague of my co-author. He's the one that was so kind enough to write a wonderful endorsement on the cover of our book. Um, and that's all about how your body remembers everything. So, this came to light for me when I was uh, in the chair in my therapist's office, and I—we'd be in the middle of you know bilateral, and some who triggered and thinking about or way early, early, early memories, and all of a sudden I'd start to cramp up. And I'd be bent over in the chair. I mean, what is going on with me? Well, I don't understand what's happening. And these are somatic memories of, in my case, of what happens when you don't feed a baby, an infant. You know, it, it, after a certain period of time, it hurts, you know, they're, and, and they start, that's why they cry. So um, I would say, one, we know and remember more than we think we do. And EMDR is all about that. And number two, um, the somatic aspect of memories, it's a, it's a whole nother kind of a parallel system of yeah. trauma and memory. Well, there's a, that's, a, that's a whole different type. There's another, there's a type of therapy called somatic um, therapy, isn't there? There's, a, there's I mean, I, I, I actually did a couple of, a couple of those actually. We were in a sort of yoga studio and um, we sort of, uh, we, we, we was doing these sort of weird stretching things and talking about stuff um i can't remember the actual name of it somatic some oh gosh it's it, it's got somatic anyway you know somatic being the body as it were right yeah yeah um fascinating sorry anyway it, it is it, it it really is and, and i'll tell you um somatic means relating to the body uh especially as distinct from the mind yeah um but what's what's amazing is when you're ha when those things are triggered and you're having somatic memories and it feels like someone's taking control of your body. You don't know what's going on. It's like you're not in control. It's like you're just coming up because there it's there. It's been there since since it was going on. In my case, since I was, you know, in a crib in Denver, Colorado, and, you know, I'm, I don't know when if anyone's going to come and attend to me, feed me or do anything. Wow. So you um you mentioned earlier that you know for the longest time you didn't even realize that you had trauma you know it was mm -hmm. once when you did find that diagnosis was that a turning point for you in your recovery would you say a hundred percent and i think um my therapist is a funny expression funny way i use expressing the condition i was in when i walked into his office but i'll use it again uh because i can't think of a better one and that's like after tr trying to find substantive help over 22 years and seven therapists and and not really coming up with anything. Um, and then being in this really, really low point because my world had collapsed uh, and my entire identity had collapsed because I'd lost this highest paying, high status job. And, and um, when I got to him, I was at my lowest point, and it was like emotionally I was crowning. He could see, he would see the, you know, I could see the head of the baby and coming out. You know, I was, I was so ripe for, 
for finally having someone who knew what they were doing and yeah. who was a certified EMDR therapist. And we started that that day. And uh, I remember I remember driving home because in my case, I had to drive about 110 miles to see him. And I remember driving home that very first day and feeling this unbelievable sense of relief because I just lived, I just lived through, you know, a, a very long period, that first session of just waves and waves of convulsive sobbing and crying and all this stuff, just like, just coming out of me, like, like, a, like punching a hole in a dam oh, wow. and it's just pouring out, pouring out. And I, where is this coming from? Realizing it's been there all the time. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you, in your book, you mention um, big and little traumas. Now, a lot of people, they won't acknowledge that they've had a trauma. You touched on this earlier on. Can you explain a bit more about what you mean by that, big and little? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, again, like like myself, um, my understanding of trauma was you were, you went to Vietnam or you were in a war or you survived a natural disaster like a tsunami or an earthquake or a hurricane. Or you were held up at gunpoint. Um, you know th th that's what constitutes trauma. When in reality, uh, trauma is a part of life. And depending on you know, and, and, and the, the 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 way you to think about how it affects people is not the event itself, but how it affects individuals for the same event. Uh -huh, okay. So so one thing for me that unfortunately was um, not a part of my development since I was you know, as since an infant was a thing called attachment, where you are able to attach to one or two um, of your caregivers. In my case, I was zero for two. So what does attachment do? Well, it's like a healthy immune system means that, you know, if you get a cold, you don't die of pneumonia. You, know, you have a cold and, you know, a few days later, it's gone. If you have a healthy immune system and you're, you you fight off things you're not even aware of because you have a healthy immune system, a strong attachment that starts at you know since at birth, frankly, is what gives you the the constitution in order to, to sort of deal with day to day life and life events without collapsing and falling apart because you have you have a sense of connection and stability and security, which none of which I had. Um, so uh, I, I would say that um, uh, in my case, uh, it was um, sort of coming to grips with all of the things that I somehow managed to deal with and ignore um, or have happen and get buried. Because what happens with traumatic memories, they're, they can't be dealt with if you're a two or a three or a four or five year old so they get buried that's just so you can survive so the other thing people need to remember about trauma big team little t trauma so well how can how can being bullied be so traumatic well if you're three or you're five um and in my case with no attachment whatsoever you have no security in the world as a five-year-old hmm. so with trauma particularly trauma and so much of it takes place um in childhood, a lot of it takes place for many people in childhood, your view of the world is is tiny. You know, you're, you're not you don't see the world through adult eyes. You're you're a two year old or a three year old or an, or an infant or a five year old. So you know, when you're being bullied at school at five years old, you have you know your world is 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 uh, hell on earth. Um, so that's what people tend to forget is is 
is when events happen, you, let's say, you know, when you're in, during childhood, you lose a parent or you lose a grandparent or a pet or your parents get divorced. Um, at that age, you're so much more vulnerable because you're not an adult that has the ability to have a much more complete perspective of the world. You don't have that as a child. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to play slight devil's advocate here. Now I, this, mm -hmm. I, I don't believe this at all. So, but I'm going to be slightly controversial and there might be people listening to this um, saying, well, you know, everyone's got talking about trauma nowadays. It's a, it's a, it's become a bit of a fashion, you know, and it's like, oh, my trauma, blah, de blah, you know, and, um, and they might think that trauma is being overdiagnosed. Now, what would you, what would you, what would you say to that? First of all, two things. Well, a couple of things. First of all, uh, we're all better off if we can recognize and, and understand what trauma really is. And again, that goes back to your earlier question that there's big T trauma and little T trauma. Yeah. So we recognize that trauma is a real thing. You know, and, and PTSD is a real thing. If yeah. you're, if you deal with any veterans and I still, I think it's the highest still the population of suicide on the planet, yeah. you know, PTSD is a real thing. I mean, I don't think there's any debate about that for veterans. So, um, I would say uh, we're, we're at a point now, sort of like, this will sound weird to say it, but, you know, there was a time when you go into a restaurant, and you sit down and order a meal and have the meal and leave. No waiter said, well, do you have any food allergies? But nowadays, at least in New York, you, the, the waiter doesn't walk, leave the table without asking, does anyone have any food allergies? So what we're trying to do with this book is two things is help people understand what trauma is and is not and how it affects us and secondly according to my uh, co-author who's an expert in, in elite you know, she's done emdr therapy for almost 40 years in her opinion it's the emdr therapy is the most effective and most efficient therapy for treating ptsd and trauma yeah. so it's funny right now i think I'm, as i mentioned earlier we got prince harry going on stephen Colbert talking about, you know, the trauma associated with, you know, losing his mother and, and, and other things. But I think I think you're right in the sense that we run the risk of it being overused or used in a, incorrectly by people. But my my mission, because I realized I knew nothing about trauma, I knew nothing about never experiencing NPR. If people were like me who were suffering for whatever reason, and like me, could benefit from understanding maybe that they, there was trauma in their past they didn't know it, and EMDR could help them get past it. Then I wanted to put it out there. And one of the the main objectives for myself and for the publisher was to make it for the lay public, not a clinical book. Mm. The Body Keeps a Score is a serious mountain to climb, mm. <laughs> and we wanted we wanted a book that was could be understood and accessible to everyone. Yeah, I was reading actually some of the um the comments and the reviews, and one of the one of the comments was uh, uh somebody who suffered with dyslexia, but the book was really easy for them to read. So I think you've achieved what you set out to do there. Um, well, I'll tell you that was that was no small feat because cl clinicians like my co-author are like Vulcans, yeah, and they they cannot speak any other language. 
So um, <laughs> it was it, it was a it, it was a a long slog to uh, in every at every turn get the key information down, but in in language that average people can understand. Yeah. So, yeah. So tell us about the book. Tell us about the genesis of the book, the idea, how you got together with uh, Deborah and and and, you know, that 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 whole thing. OK, so I, I about six months into my work with Dr. Magnavita, I started understanding these concepts, concepts about trauma, concepts like, uh, you know, trauma gets frozen in your, in your nervous system. It stays there forever, like a thorn in your in your you know side or foot or whatever until you unless and until you remove it things like that and because as a child i was so uh scatterbrained i i'm a very visual thinker i i couldn't read at all i i, I that was just a non-starter so i started to do these things which again I, we call billboards where there's an image on the right a photograph on the right and just very little text and each one of them uh seizes on a concept which i thought was really important uh, for myself as I came to understand it. And I thought a lot of other people um, might also. So I presented a couple of these, um, maybe three or four of them to Dr. Magnavita. And he said, you know, this could be a book. All you have to do is go out and find an EMDR expert who's very well known, who agreed to be your co-author. And looking back, I, I, I think, why would I not have just given up right there? Who's going to do that? Who am I going to find who won't know me from Adam who's going to agree to write a book with me? But um, after reaching out to everyone, Deborah Korn, uh, who's in Cambridge, I'm in New York, she's in Cambridge, Massachusetts, was the one who stuck with me over the course of, I think it was about six months it took for her to finally agree to co-author this book with me. And again, I, I mentioned this earlier. The title, I, I, if you know anything about publishing, oftentimes the author has nothing to do with the title of the book. The publisher comes up with it and the cover design of the book. In this case, I wanted to, to use the same EMDR acronym, but I wanted to have a different set of words. So every memory deserves respect for a memory-based therapy with the title, and I'll never forget it. I emailed that to the publisher, and there was never any discussion. They loved it from the first minute they saw it. So um, then I, I met with Debbie, and we... We um, worked, you know, it's about several years. Uh, and um, the billboards are another whole story because I would, uh, early on, I found these photographs I was completely attached to. Um, like there's one of the picture of a, a man's shoes, running shoes on the edge of a pool. And you can't, no one's in the shoes, but in the, in the water, you can see a reflection of the man, but he's not standing in the shoes. Kind of a very surreal picture. And, the, uh, and Pictures like that that I would found, and I realized, you know, when you have a publisher, the publisher requires you to have signed releases from the photographer, which I didn't have. So in eight about eight cases of these photographs, which I fell in love with, I spent about six months tracking down the photographers. In one case, it was a director. But these images, one was in Madrid, one was in um, Mexico City, one was in... Um, uh, Tokyo, and I'd I would just finally just track them down, and God bless all of them. They all agreed once they knew what the image was going to be used for. They all agreed and signed, really, you know, in perpetuity, marketing releases to use those images in the book. Oh, lovely, amazing. Um, so the the book is out now, isn't it? 
It's out now. It is. And yep. what we're going to do the thing like where you can get it from. We're going to give you a chance to, you know, give it another push because I think this is going to be an amazing book for our people to get a listen to. But just re- just quickly, if you can, clearly your life is abundantly better after your EMDR therapy. Like, can you give us an example of how it's transformed? Like you said, you mentioned- yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you one example. Well, let me give you, let me give you, I'll answer that two ways. Number one, here's, here's the, the, the mechanical way. Uh, when I would wake up in college and, and have this overwhelming sense of dread and not know why and anxiety and worry. And I don't know what, why do I, have, that was my operating system for my whole life. Mm. It was, it was fraught with anxiety and fear and um, worry and um, intermittent depression and, and you know, and um, fear. And when I finished with Dr. Magdavita, I, I feel like I got to trade that operating system in for a new one. That was all about just waking up and being. And none of those things are uh, uh, plaguing you from the moment you, you know, you, you wake up and you just have a clear view. I, I was also feel like, you know, I, to me, it's not so much your life is better. It's now you actually can have a normal life. So your head is not below the water. Your head is above water and you can see things clearly. Mm. That's one way of answering it. The other way to answer is, you know, the bully I grew up with, my brother, who was a, a really serious, serious physical bully. And I was scared to death of him. I was terrified all the time of him. And rightfully so. We never had a relationship our whole lives, Ever. And uh, I started with Magnavita when I was 61. Uh, Magnavita told me before the book published, uh, he said, you need to inform your brother of the book because there could be, you know, exposure, otherwise perhaps even legal exposure. So I reached out to my brother and I'll never forget, he responded and he said, you can write whatever you want about me. If this means that we finally might have the chance to have a relationship as brothers, nothing would bring me more joy. We took our first trip together. He also asked me at the time if Debbie could recommend an ingress therapist for him. Oh, wow. So he spent about a year and a half on with one of Debbie's colleagues doing EMDR for the first time in his life. Also, someone growing up in the same crucible as I did in our family, with you know all kinds of issues that he had to deal with in our family growing up. So he had his whole history of therapy and therapists. We spent our first week together as brothers. Uh, in Vermont, it was a Monday. We 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 went up there and met up there, uh, and it was his seventieth birthday. That's how long we had to wait to have a relationship. We have a call every Friday, Zoom call. We never miss. And I would say his is the most intimate relationship I have with anyone in my life today, which may sound weird, but it's true. And I would say th- this to me is nothing short of a miracle in my life something I never, ever would have anticipated. It would never have been possible without me and my NDR journey with Dr. Magnavita and the one that he took, um, raising his hand and asking for a therapist, which Debbie referred to him. And by the way, for your audience, since I started this book project, I'm now up to 54 people who have asked me for recommendations for an EMDR therapist that Debbie has provided. And each one of them is having you know, a, 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 their own transformative experience, one of which one of whom was uh, had been with a talk therapist for ten years and finally cut the cord, and um, is having you know one revelation after another. Um, turns out that she was a sexual abuse victim, she was a, a, a incest survivor, and 
So, um, but in my life, it, it's that it's that waking up and not being chased by all those bad things, and you don't even know where they come from. But also in the case of relationships, I mean, I only have one brother, but I never had one until, you know, two years ago. Mm. That's amazing. What amazing story. True, all true. The, <clears throat> so I, I guess for the listeners, what if they were thinking about doing EMDR, and I'm sure a lot of them are now after listening to your um, amazing story, yeah. what would what would you recommend they do? I mean, obviously. De- Deborah can't recommend, uh, you know, there's a lot of our <laughs> listeners are based in the UK, so um, yeah. that might be yeah. difficult. But what would, what, what would you suggest they do? And, and, and if they have any um, reservations about, about it, what, how would you sort of make them feel a little bit better about the reservations? Okay. So, well, first of all, to make it simple for everyone, the one place I would direct your listeners to is the same title as the book every memory deserves respect.com and there uh there's uh, a ton of interviews that debbie has done a ton of interviews that debbie and i have done together there's resources there there's tons of stuff there there's also a, a button that says find a therapist and that connects you to the emdria.org which is the one website where you can search for and find a therapist um, and then in each, you know, most countries have their own EMDR, um, uh, I think probably EMDR.com or EMDR.org uh, slash UK or slash DE for Germany. There's usually one in every country or in every region, but a good place to start is going to our website, click on find a therapist and go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, I, I, I maybe a different way of answering your question about how can I make them feel better about a- apprehension. When I was in my 20s, EMDR had not been invented, so I had no choice. It wasn't available. Mm. <clears throat> today, excuse me, today, someone in their 20s who can't stop drinking, someone in their 20s who, who um, is, keeps losing a job or keeps getting in fights or um, has severe anxiety or depression or whatever, that person today can go to emdria.org pick their region, you know, put in their zip code or whatever their, their mail code and see a list of certified EMDR therapists. And the next level up there is consultants and they can go and see, or have a, a, a conversation with, um, uh, an EMDR therapist. And so my advice when people ask, what's, what's the last thing you want to share with our audience is don't wait, don't wait. I had to wait until I was 61 years old and was not for lack of trying. And, um, you know, it, 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 that's probably two thirds of my life gone by. Yeah. So people today, if, you know, if you, yourself or someone you care about is suffering in any way or has behavior that, you know, is symptomatic of something, we don't know what it might be. Go and avail, avail yourself of the end of our therapist. Because I say my, my co-author has done this for She's fluent in all dialects of therapy, all of them. But her favorite, her go-to, the most efficient, the most effective for PTSD and trauma, which is a part of life, is EMDR. Amazing. Amazing. 
Right. I want you to I want you to have a chance to really plug this book because I think that more and more people need to know about it. So just in your own words, what what is your hope? What is your biggest hope for this book? And you know, why why do people need to read it? So in addition to um well, let's see, I guess what's the best way to answer that? It here's a kind of a silly way to answer it, which is when you discover a store or a restaurant that's absolutely fantastic, what do you want to do? You want to tell all your friends about it so they can go to the same store. I mean, I'll give you a craziest example. When I, when I discovered the floss that I now use made by Listerine, um, because it stretches, it's, it's the only stretchy floss of you. I told everyone in my life about it. So what is my point? When I discovered EMDR therapy and when I was in, taken into the care of Dr. Jeffrey Magnavita, it was so transformative for me. It was so long in the coming and the path to get there was such a long one, strewn with you know a combination of grandiosity and then coping mechanisms. And when I discovered him and I discovered EMDR and I discovered that what the source of these things were and I don't have, didn't have to live with them anymore. You know, what do I want to do? I want to tell people about it because, you know, I've, I've yet to come up or meet anyone who has never had any kind of, you know, grief, loss, trauma, anything in their life. It seems to be, as I say, trauma is a part of life. So you know, be your own diagnostician, diagnostician. And, you know, if, if you are feeling like, you know, you're, 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 you're not succeeding in life or you're not succeeding in relationships or you can't keep a job or you keep getting into fights or you're drinking too much or whatever, but you don't know why, just bring yourself and your, as Debbie says, your whole hot mess into an EMDR therapist's office, shut the door and just let the process work. Um, you know, if Gabor Mate is right, this again, the, the famous therapist who has a movie out called The Wisdom of Trauma, and he's the one that is asserts that 99% of the human population has some form of trauma, loss, or grief they're carrying around with them, mm. which means because it gets locked in the central nervous system unless and until it's dealt with with the MDR therapy, hopefully. It, it stays locked there, and it's like a piece of kryptonite. It warps how you see yourself, how you see the world, and the choices that you make. Why does Andy, why is he on his fifth relationship, and he's being abused in every single one of them? What is going on with Andy? Why, why does Tommy keep you know, losing every job he gets? What's going on with that? So, you know, it, it's uh, uh, the the unprocessed, undealt with, trauma that lies beneath is calling the shots you know so well <laughs> yeah 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 exactly exactly i mean but that's what happens that's what happens you know and and it, it runs the show unconsciously and we aren't even aware of it by the way when i said earlier that i you know um about trauma being overdiagnosed, that you know i did say that was me being a devil devil's advocate and what i actually think is that 
the more we can talk about trauma and, you know, the more we can be honest and, you know, bring that up, even if it is something that's on the surface quite, you know, small, you know, a, a small, a small T trauma, then it's all the better for, you know, trying to just deal, deal with your demons. You know, the more you can talk about and the more you can face it, the better. So there shouldn't be a culture of um, people worrying about, you know, talking about it and over diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. But, but also, I mean, in my opinion, life is too short to be walking around every day with unprocessed traumatic memories that are, you know, coloring the partners you're choosing, you know, the, your behavior. And here's the other, you know, the other thing that is, is um, a real phenomenon that I think make, gets people thinking is um, some, they have an event, you know, a, a person makes a comment or, or uh, they hear a sound or a certain smell, and all of a sudden that trigger has them going right back to that event, but they don't they don't know what's going on. You know, all of a sudden their hands are sweating. All of a sudden their their anxiety is is like almost overwhelming them. You know, that's called a trigger that goes back to you know to the original traumatic event that have not been dealt with. So you know, it's like you're walking around with you know with all these emotional IEDs um, versus a clear field. Yeah. Amazing. Right. Now we're lucky enough. We've been sent a copy of your book. So I'm actually really excited to delve into this now. Um, but for those of our listeners that are not as lucky as we are, where can people get your book from? You can get it. Uh, the, for most people, Amazon obviously is, is the go-to place and it's there. Uh, uh, and that's probably the easiest. You can also go, you know, get it through the website, every memory deserves respect.com. Um, and then it's, you know, in bookstores and we have a wonderful publisher who does an incredible job, um, uh, placing uh, our book in, in, you know, all brick and mortar places all over the country. And, 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 you know, it's now, uh, been published in, um, Italian, uh, Greek, Korean, and there's another one coming. So the foreign language versions of the book are, are starting to come too. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Because trauma is trauma in every language. Sorry. Yeah. That's yeah. true. <laughs> Sorry. You say that. Is that true? No, it's not. It's not. It's just, yeah, it's just, I love the silence after that comment that I made. Uh, well, I can read you, I can read you the title. Hold on. Uh, of the Italian version. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, hang on. Okay, hang on. Where is it? Here. Where is it? Oh, here we go. It's, um, Ogni ricordo merita rispetto. EMDR la terapia per guarir dal trauma. Now, so they use the word trauma. Oh, there we go. You're onto something. I might be right. Everything sounds better in Italian, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Well, especially when you pronounce it, I don't think they did a very good job there. (laughs) You did great. But but on on that point, on that very point, that's why... The billboards, and, and they did a wonderful job. They did a wonderful job with the Italian version of the book. In their case, they had a little little box that superimposed over the photograph because they didn't want to use two opposite pages. So they wanted to use less pages. Uh, but it, it, it's just proof that the image with the right, you know, with the set of words works in any culture. So when you talk about trauma being frozen in the central nervous system, I had to track down the president of the uh, Denmark Amber Society, 
because he had they had this incredible picture I just was not willing to, to give up on of a little of a little piece of amber with a flower in it that's um, 35 million years old the flower so that image which is meant to immediately commit uh, communicate to to readers of something being frozen perfectly preserved works in Chinese works in French works in Italian works in Hebrew works in Arabic anything so that was the another another a reason why I wanted to have this visual component mm. to the book. So these concepts, which took me forever to understand myself, could be immediately communicated, no matter what your culture or language was. As they say, a picture speaks a thousand words. That's right. So we have come, we are actually up to an hour. So I think we should draw that uh, to a close. But that has been... An amazing, fascinating podcast. How do you feel, Tommy? Do you know what? Actually, it it's amazing. Yeah, it really was amazing. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing your experiences. It's wow, brilliant. Listen, as I said earlier at the beginning, thank you for having me. I wish uh, Debbie could have joined us, my co-author, who's just phenomenal, and everything you do, and all the other. We've done so many of these. Uh, it, it, it all goes towards the same mission, which is to get the word out. So this becomes, so people have a, a, a an accessible, friendly guide to these two topics, EMDR therapy and trauma, so they can finally have some guidance and help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and admit it, you've done a lot of them, but this has been the best one, isn't it? Admit it. <laughs> yeah, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> I must say, I will say, it's nice to have, um, obviously, you guys are very comfortable with each other, but it's nice to have um, where it's so conversational. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and, and I think I think your your audience will, will appreciate it, too. I mean, obviously, you have an audience and a following, so they must already feel that way because i'm guessing this is how you all do all your podcasts it is it is i mean some people say um conversational others might say unprofessional um but... <laughs> we could with both <laughs> no the beauty of the of the beauty one of the one of the you know in my advertising career one of the clients that i whose business i ran globally was apple and um and Steve Jobs was actually was my client uh but that was when he was at next after he left apple but the the whole uh, uh, genesis of podcasting is what bring bring you know brings the mountain to Muhammad because you you know and somebody in Boise Idaho in their basement can get a decent mic hmm. and um, uh, you know maybe a, 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 you know construct a decent background and all of a sudden they're they're they can have a professional quality broadcast in a podcast I mean that was the the genius of the whole podcast phenomenon so mm-hmm. you know you have yours oh. yeah. Thank you kindly. Well, Thank you yeah. very much. That's a good job. We're audio only. Is that's all I can say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> all right. Well, that's been man up for another episode. We will try and get you another episode as quick as we possibly can, but no pressure on us. We should have an amazing guest for you next time. Uh, listen up. Keep yourselves well, and I'm going to look a little bit more into uh, EMDR. I think so. Um, We'll speak to you next time, everyone. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.